You're listening to the e-commerce marketing show presented by Privy. Hey, it's Dave, your second favorite podcast host now that the CEO hosts the amazing daily e-commerce marketing school. But I wanted to just tell you that we're launching a book, if you haven't heard yet, on October 6th. It's called the E-commerce Marketing Handbook. And I'm super pumped about it because we're giving people practical, tactical uh, guidance, instruction. It's going to be a physical book you can put on your desk and mark it up, dog gear it, highlight it, rip pages out, put post-it notes in it. And it's filled with expert advice, not from us at Privy, but from experts. There's 17 experts that helped write the book, from Kurt Elster to Vivian Kay to Nick Sharma. All people you've really heard on this podcast. It's, it's amazing. We got to go deeper with them, and we're actually writing a book this year. It comes out October 6th. So if you want to see what it takes to scale and grow an e-commerce brand from zero to a million in sales, this book is going to be your playbook. And by the way, we also got the intro from Shopify COO Harley Finkelstein. He wrote the intro for this book. It's, it's amazing. Go to privy.com slash book. There's already over 1,500 people on the wait list. You can go there to grab your copy and make sure that you can, can really be the first to know when it's out on October 6th. Okay, I'm back to doing podcasts and other stuff. I'll talk to you later. Hey, what's up, everybody? Back here with another episode of the e-commerce marketing show. Today, I'm here with Adam Bride again. He's the CMO at Roan. Adam has helped Roan achieve triple-digit growth year over year. That's good. That'll get you promoted for sure. And runs everything from brand to PR to community to marketing. Adam, I'm pumped to have you here today. I've seen your stuff. I actually made my first purchase prior to this call doing prep. So now I'm in your funnel forever, I guess. Love it. Well, appreciate that. What'd you end up with there? I need some new workout pants. I live in Vermont and it's gotten really cool really quickly in the mornings here. And I need some pants that were breathable and comfortable, but also looked fashionable. There you go. Well, we're glad to have you into our funnel and and we will be blasting you with remarketing for the rest of your life. I already got it. I just made a copy (laughs) and I checked my phone and I'm in there now. How do you think about your role in marketing? Like, Just give people a breakdown of the size of your team, how you have it staffed, in-house agencies, and just kind of like your day-to-day as a CMO. Let me kind of walk you through the evolution of the company and the evolution of my role, right? Because I think that that's going to be very beneficial for those listening who, depending on which stage that they're at, if they're like, hey, I've got this great idea and I'm going to go co-found this, or they're raising venture capital, or they've got a team of five and they're just looking to scale, right? There's a lot of different steps that go along with us. And I've been fortunate enough to be with Roan since the very beginning. So Nate Checkets, who's the co-founder and CEO, was my neighbor in Connecticut. And he came over on a Saturday, knocked on my door. Our families you know, hung out a lot. He was working at NFL at the time and I was working at Priceline. And he's like, I have this idea to start this men's clothing company to take on the premium category where Lululemon's dominating on the women's side, right? I don't think they're focused on the men's side. And I think a brand that could really resonate with men is important. And, you know, Nike's for the masses and there's these other big box brands, but no one's really doing it in the premium space for men. I was like, Nate, that's a phenomenal idea. It's really exciting. A, I don't work out, so it doesn't really speak to me. 
I typically would not spend that much on clothing. So walk me through this business model, right? And so we just had a blast of like going back and forth and he ended up getting product samples and I would review them and I'd give them feedback. And the first products were socks and then it turned into shorts. And so all in all, it was great just kicking this idea back and forth over the weekends. But when it came to it, it was, okay, what is going to be our go-to-market strategy, right? How are we actually going to sell this? And this was at the time that Shopify was coming on board and really gaining traction. So we learned as much as we could about Shopify at the time. And so we were one of the early brands to actually go on to Shopify. And from there, Dave, like our thought process was, we have to build content. We have to understand who this buyer is before we spend any money on you know, growth, marketing, or acquisition. With, you, know, you can read all of the PDFs and eBooks out there. But really, if you don't understand content and understand how that works, you could be spending a lot of money and not understanding conversion funnel. So for us, the first 12 months of the brand were just building content, like speaking to this individual, identifying who they were, what were their pain points in life and, and how could we solve them, right? And so that was, I mean, really for those 12 months, it was on the weekends, we're just building content. And when I say content, like SEO content, really just trying to understand what keywords we needed to rank for and all of that. So that was, was that, our- that was, all, that was all pre, was that all pre-product? Yeah. Well, I mean, we had samples. Yeah. We knew kind of like our first assortment, mm-hmm. but all of it was- the SEO content that we were building and doing a bunch of keyword analysis research. What are the places that we could rank for? What could we not rank for? And all of the different article types that we needed to do. It was this whole new world for me, right? And at the time, you know, I played basketball in high school, but as soon as that, you know, I married with kids and then I like, I let myself go. I turned into the typical dad bod, but like through this journey of identifying this customer and this lifestyle, I realized for me, if I'm going to be the best marketer in the world, I have to change. Like I have to be who our customer is to truly identify with them. There's no way that I'm going to be able to market to this individual if I'm not thinking and acting like this person. And so that's what I did. I changed the way that I ate, my sleeping patterns, everything. So I work out between five and six times a week. I eat clean. I've changed that lifestyle and that entire mentality. And it's been one of the offspring blessings of being in this role over the last seven years. But in that beginning, it was strictly content. And then from there, it was like, how do we build this engine that is going to be scalable on the e-commerce side? And that was really to gain traction, to get kind of that, that product market fit. We did a lot of testing and then we honed in on e-commerce. And then from there, We started building strategic partnerships. Peloton is a really strong partner of ours, Equinox Gyms. And so we do have a lot of those partnerships and those have evolved over time, right? So from there, it was, okay, now we have to build out and scale the marketing team from PR, community, influencer, and then growth and performance marketing. So our team has evolved and we're now 30 plus on our marketing side. I'm happy to give you a breakdown of kind of how we think about that team if you'd like. Yeah, I have a bunch of follow-ups yeah. I want to ask you based on the earlier stuff they said. Well, so first of all, the marketing team is 30 people now. Seven years ago, is just you. Yeah. Were, were you doing marketing at Priceline? Yeah, so I was primarily doing digital marketing, spending 
you know, several millions of dollars a month and just managing that. So, so like you're doing SEO, SEM at Priceline, yeah. you come to this team. How did you grow as a marketer to be, you know, cause you kind of went from specialist to generalist, right? You're the paid guy. Now you're CMO. Like how have you had to evolve as a marketing leader? I do a lot of reading. I would say there's two books that changed my viewpoint and helped me grow as a marketer. The first individual is Marcus Sheridan. I'm a huge fan of him. Anything that he puts out, I will just digest. And so if they ask you answer, like <laughs> that's really what I prescribe to as far as just the growth mentality of, of sales and marketing. And they're like, there's this massive cohesion between the two. And then scientific advertising is another book of mine that like I keep with me anytime that I travel, it's with me. And I'm studying that and I reread it over and over again. Let me just pull, here we go. The competent advertising man, well, this was written in 1924, so must understand psychology. The more he knows about it, the better. He must learn that certain effects lead to certain reactions and use that knowledge to increase results and avoid mistakes. Human nature is perpetual. The reason this book is so amazing, I'm so happy you said that. Oh, here's another one. Chapter five, headlines. The purpose of a headline is to pick out people you can interest. That's saying like, hey, sports fans. So anyway, I'm so happy you said this book because like not many books, marketing books are timeless. Like, you know, if you wrote a book about SEO two months ago, it'd already be out of date. This book was written in 1924. Well, that's what I love, Dave, is like, it's fascinating. So many marketers get caught into like, what do we need to do now? And like, how do we add on this? What's the shiny new object that's going to help change the trajectory of the company? And I'm like, it's psychology. In 1924, with all of that they were doing on direct mail and coupon advertising, they had this down to a science, right? And so, yes, there's a lot of science that goes into what we do now as far as A-B testing, multivariate testing, but it really is human psychology. And that's truly what we have to learn. And we have to relearn and relearn almost every day as marketers. And that's the timeless stuff. Like you can watch YouTube or pick up a course and learn about, you know, the newest ad platform or algorithm or whatever, but that's the timeless stuff that I think is the most important thing to go back and study in marketing. One of the first things that we did when we got on Slack and before really scaling the team We built a Slack channel that had every single customer review that was visible to the entire company. And at the time, you know, there's a handful of us, but I read every single customer review to this day. Every time one comes in, there's a net promoter score, there's a customer review, I'm notified, I read the Slack. And if there's something in there, then I send it to the appropriate team. That's a mandate that we have across the marketing team is that we have to be closest to our customer to truly understand and to feed that back into the product team. I got to ask you something though. You mentioned like copywriting, direct response. You love that stuff. How does that play out in your creative? Because I think something that I struggle with as a marketing leader, this is not even just for this podcast for in general, like I love this stuff. But anytime you're working with, if you have a team of 30, it's not going to be you writing the copy, you know, or you have an agency or how do you scale that and train that? And so have you find a system, how do you get people on your team or agencies, whoever to like, have a checklist or something around these timeless principles? Like, How do you run creative through that lens? Our creative team internal, we actually don't use a lot of agencies. Our methodology is if there's something that we don't know, then yes, we will leverage the expertise of an agency. But as soon as we can, we bring it in-house, right? Because to truly scale it, you have to keep that close to vest and you really want to build that as a core competency within your team as you scale. So for us, our brand and content team truly understands our buyer personas. And that is an evolutionary process. I think we are very data-driven in the sense that 
the data needs to flow through them as well within their creativity. But that being said, like a lot of the times we as marketers, we think certain things are going to be home runs and then they're just absolute failures, right? It's like, this is my opinion. I'm closer to, to anyone than this. And this is what's going to happen. And it's like, no. And that's the beauty of scientific advertising. It's like, headlines are not meant to be entertaining, right? Like they're meant to sell. And so I think our methodology is like, we follow the data and our goal is to test at least 30 pieces of content, whether that's a Facebook ad, a change in an iteration in the copy in the Facebook ad, whatever it is, like our goal is to be testing 30 things a day. And that's totally an arbitrary number. We will continue to scale up from there. But I recently had a good conversation with Gary Vee and he's like, you should be testing a thousand. And so like, we are on the same page in that regard. But like for us, where we're at, as far as a team, 30 is a metric that we can hit and that we can continue to scale. So I think creativity comes from testing, knowing what you think is going to work, but then having differing opinions and letting the data decide what happens. But as long as your marketing team is committed to making testing like paramount, like you can't lose. The challenge is, is when you get into a company or you get into a team and the loudest voice wins, right? Or people are so set in their ways that they don't want to test. So they're like, you know, this is how I've been doing it for 20 years. So I think creating a culture of testing really unlocks that creativity. What were you doing meeting with Gary Vee? Can't let that one go. <laughs> so we're pretty close from the Rome side. He's, he's a fan of the brand. So we were just having a discussion about content and ways that we can scale it forward. So I just got to know, what were you wearing? Because I got to keep Oh, what was I wearing? Like, yeah, are you going to be in a future vlog? Like, am I going to see a clip of you asking for advice? it's funny because a lot of the, you know, videos that he's shooting and he's wearing Rome. People just don't know. (laughs) Now they do there. You can have this clip. You can cut it out and that can be an ad. (laughs) That would be sweet. Yeah, no, he's a great guy, man. So on the content side, I love what you guys did early on, right? Which is like define the brand through content, learn your audience through content. But how can you... Like, how do you do that if you're not, don't you feel like you have some sense of urgency to, to make revenue, right? You're not, you're not like necessarily writing blog articles to, to, to generate revenue. Like, how do you talk, how do you talk to that to the founder who's like, ah, I, I don't know if I can, like, I can't prioritize content because I got to, I got to sell stuff. Like, how am I going to find the time to do it? It's a great question. I, I think for us, like in the beginning, we, we were trying to figure everything out, right? Like we didn't, we didn't have like, oh, here's your, here's your metric because this was like this idea and we wanted to execute on it. So yeah, I mean, we, for the content has to be driven based on testing. And so you're, you're really not going to know. I think you have to get a founder who's committed to building a community and building a community takes a very long time, right? Like, it just does. And anytime that you try to, to create a shortcut, like it's, it's very difficult and you end up spending and wasting a lot of money. And so I think if you don't have the bandwidth or the time to build content, then you better build a conversion funnel that works, right? Because if you, if you start to, you put the cart before the horse, right? Like you, you're in just going to spend massive amounts of money and you're going to, and yeah, you can hit top line gross, but you're not going to be profitable. And I think that's what's happened so much in the D2C space over the last three years, which is you see these really, really high growth companies that everyone is 
written, you know, writing articles about, and then it's like this crash and burn. And you're like, whoa, what happened? It's because that they were chasing these artificial top line numbers, not really focused on building a community, building, you know, content for the long term, and, and really having a data driven internal attribution model to help them get there. And so I think it, it really is a challenge, but I think you just have to work with founders and, and co-founders and people just to give you that leeway to like, hey, if you want us to be successful long-term, we have to be devoted to testing and content. If not, yeah, you're, you're going to get someone in there that can probably throw some revenue up, but they're going to crash and burn over the long-term. Yeah, I, I, for, for many reasons, for not building a brand, for not having the like compounding return of organic traffic, right? I bet, I bet some of those early posts that you wrote when you, when you guys first started this out are still bringing in you know, hundreds of thousands of visitors depending on what content it was written about seven years ago. Well, it's, it's the dividends now are massive, right? And, that's, that's, and I credit Nate a lot to this because he gave us that flexibility and freedom as a founder to to do this. And he, and he took the long-term view, you know, the time that we were spent working on, working on the content and figuring this out is now seven years later paying those dividends. But you're right. Like it's one of the, the reasons that we are scaling so fast now. And it, it also gave us the, the timing to build a true attribution model, right? So before we layer on a new marketing channel, we, we have that attribution model, it's internal. And we're not going to layer on another marketing, you know, what, whatever platform it is, we're not going to layer that on until we know how are we going to, going to define success before we layer this on or else, Hey, this is, we're going to be chasing after this next shiny object, like programmatic streaming or programmatic, you know, linear, like all of these things are like really phenomenal. They're fantastic. But at the end of the day, if you're not measuring you know, net new customers, revenue, and truly understanding the impact to your attribution, then you're, you get to that point where you typically are just chasing that top line number. And it becomes this hamster wheel where it's like every quarter you're doing the same thing and, you know, you, you get burned out. So you, okay, you mentioned this attribution model a couple of times. And yep. so does that mean like in the early days you, you were doing more brand stuff and you weren't necessarily trying to measure everything, but now are you trying to measure? Do you have to measure everything you're doing in marketing? Oh, absolutely. We, we have to measure everything. I mean, yes, in the beginning, abs- like brand was core focus, our thesis, our why, right? Which is, you know, to inspire others in the pursuit of progress. And so how do we do that? Okay, well, we need to build content that, you know, husbands and fathers, what, t- what, what keeps them active? What about those who've just graduated college? What type of content resonates with them as, as far as health and wellness? So all of these categories, you can see a lot of the content that we built, we call it the pursuit, but that's been years in the making of, as far as the articles. And then now we have other like guests blog, well, you know, guest blogging, but these are actual content contributors from celebrities, from athletes who are now writing for us. And in the beginning, it was all us and just, you know, figuring this out. But now that we, you know, build the brand, all of these other channels like influencer, like television, all go into our attribution model. Mm-hmm. And that was one of the, the, the main things that allowed us to scale so quickly was making sure that we could quantify and build a process. Okay, well, if, it's, if we can't quantify this like qualitative, what does that look like for the brand? And how are we going to 
measure this. And so all of that went into, you know, this, this internal source of truth and the source of truth guides every sort, every single marketing channel that we, that we layer on. And from there, I would say it's a very evolutionary process, right? Like you, you, you've never solved attribution. You're constantly iterating and doing what works for you as a brand. And I, listen, attribution is like a, probably a trillion dollar problem, right? And like, it's, it's massive and all of these, everyone's trying to figure it out. But I think the only way that you fail is if you, if you don't focus on it, because the bottom line is like, and the marketers who are going to be listening to this, like, and, and I just want to caution them, like Facebook is lying to you, right? Like the attribution that you're seeing in Facebook is not real. Google is lying to you. All of, all of these platforms and the way that they have built their attribution models, they're taking credit for this. So if, if you're not building that internally and, and quantifying this, you will find yourself in a position where as you get to this point, as you're scaling, you're, you're going to be throwing off massive, massive amounts of cash and, and not realize where it's all going. Does it, so does every D2C brand that gets to this scale, you have to just home grow your own attribution model? I, I think if you are building for the long term, trying to be profitable, then absolutely. And I think there's a few platforms out there that are really good that you can investigate and see if they work for you and then customize as needed. But some, some of our, our first hires were data scientists and data analysts, right? Because yeah. like if, if to, to really compete in this space, it's, it's really a race to who can use data the best. And data when it comes to content, data, data when it comes to product, data when it comes to marketing, like all, all of this has to be dependent on the data. And if you can't trust the data, well, then you're in a tough position as far as scaling. Okay. So can you go further on this, like measure everything with me for a second? So like, if you do something on, so if you, if your team is like, Hey, uh, Adam, we really want to, uh, invest in, 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 in TikTok, right? Like I'm just on your page right now. There's four yeah. videos. You, you have a, a couple thousand followers there. Like clearly you've just uploaded stuff. It's not a big focus. Yeah. Would they have to make a case that ties directly into sales to say, Hey, we're going to invest in TikTok. Here's the plan. We expect it's going to increase sales by X, but like, is that what it would take? That, yes. That plus the, the brand impact as far as how big that market is, the type of resources that we would need to allocate towards it and what type of like, what's impressions that we are going to reach the engagement that we are going to anticipate for us. TikTok is going to be a massive focus over the future. I would say we were cautiously trying to measure as far as TikTok goes, like, was it even going to be in the U S right? <laughs> like, and so for us now that it, you know, just came out that it is going to be here, then you will see us do a shift there. But yeah, I mean, for it's, it's not just TikTok. I mean, it's Snapchat, it's Instagram, it's, it's LinkedIn. It's, it's all these different profiles. Yeah. And as you know, we only have so many resources. So right now, just like every, every person listening to this podcast, you're, you're just focusing on those channels where you have scalability, you have the measurement, and then you start laying, laying on the other ones. So, I mean, for us, TikTok is a, is a great opportunity, but it also exposes us to a, a, a new customer's cohort that, that we are actively going after, right? Which is these individuals who are younger demographic who want to be active and we are ready to graduate into our, into our brand. 
Love this is I mean my my job is in B2B. We don't have to measure everything. <laughs> so I love it. I like I like I like this. I mean it would be I would love to be able to track everything that that closely just you know not everything is a direct purchase. So that that's the plus side of direct response. Well, um Oh, so, but like, even if, even if forget social channels, like if, if a new, if a new X platform came out tomorrow, you would need a business, you would need a real case to like, what are we going to, we're going to test this for a month and we're going to get X lift in revenue, right? Yes. And so, well, keep in mind too, that like, this is now where we are at as a company, but when I was doing everything, I mean, I was going and learning as much as I possibly could and basically building a a use case in my head as far as how I was going to justify spending my time here, right. which was, okay, you know, Instagram, what do we need to do to tackle that? How do we, what type of content is going to resonate? And then from there, right? Like you're, you're, when, when you're at the, a one man band, you're just trying to set everything up to get it to a point where it's, Hey, it's, it's set up, it's run. Now I, I need to hire someone to really scale this and take it to the next level. And so that yeah. was, that for us, I mean, you, you can't do everything, but you can do enough in the beginning where you can show the trajectory like, hey, if we had a person full-time dedicated to this or a team dedicated to this, this is what this could look like because of the potential. Yeah, so, I think it's, you mentioned, like, you mentioned that is actually is important because you're, you're sitting here now seven years in with a team of 30, a successful business, you know, millions in revenue or whatever. You know, you, you weren't, in year one, looking for this perfect attribution model on, no. on content, you just got to do it right, and then and then and then as you scale, like that that job is going to continue to change. I'm sure you, for you now, your year seven, it's going to ch- continue to change. Year eight, year ten, right? Absolutely. I mean, there again, there's no way that we number one, we didn't have any money to like you know go out and hire a PR agency that's like top you know top top echelon of New York. Like no one k- gives a crap about us, right? And so for us, it was, okay, well, like if we were to, you know, get coverage in the Wall Street Journal, which we ended up doing, like, do we have any personal relationships? Like, can we call, like who, who in our network could, could help us out? And that, that was really like that first article in the Wall Street Journal was, was through relationships. But in, yeah, in the beginning, no, I was, I was like, okay, Google, like how, I'm going to set this up. I'm going to get it running. I'm going to show that there's traction here. I'm going to do the same for Facebook and Instagram going to do the same for these other channels and then getting it up to a point where we could justify hiring someone. But I will tell you, yes, like it's, it helps that I've been able to do a lot of these things and set them up. Um, but now, you know, one of the challenges, and I'm sure you feel this as well is like when you've been doing something so long and then now it's like someone else's job, you, you, and you, you're, you're transitioning into that leader and that role of like, well, I don't want to tell you what to do. I have my opinions and I want, I want you to take this and run with it, but I don't want to micromanage it. Right. And so it's, there, there has been a lot of evolution in that, but I will say I would never trade those last seven years when we didn't have any money. And I was wearing all these multiple hats because the growth, right? Like yeah. the, the growth it, the curve is just, it's, it's phenomenal when, when you are put in that place of like, I have to learn this, I don't have money, <laughs> yeah. what am I going to do? Right? Yeah. 
Yeah. It's the best driver, right? Cause you're like, I want it. I want to do this because I want us to be successful. Oh my God, we did it. And it worked. Okay. Now on to the next thing. And you're yes. just like, you're building this. It's like you're building, you're putting together the plane, you know, mid air while you're going 500 miles in the air, 30,000 feet above, <laughs> like you're assembling everything. Exactly. Um, okay. I, we, we got like five, 10 minutes and I want to talk about black Friday, cyber Monday. Cause that's what a lot of our customers are thinking about right now is, or, or hopefully thinking about. We just did a survey and found that 75% of people are, don't start planning uh, until like three months before at the minimum. My guess is you're a big successful brand. Uh, you guys have a playbook or something. You can't share it all, but what, what, what advice do you have leading up to Black Friday, Cyber Monday? Well, my, my hypothesis right now is that this Black Friday will be different than probably any other Black Friday that we've experienced just because we we have a global pandemic. We have, you know, a lot of change in consumer behavior as far as how they're spending their money, where they're spending their money. We also have an election here in, in the United States. There's a lot of uncertainty. And as far as people's willingness to spend, not knowing what that's going to look like or being upset, right? Like all of those factors combined, I think this is going to be the most important Black Friday in a very long time. And plus, if, if you're in retail, depending on what side of retail that you're on, like either your industry was absolutely crushed or you're, abs- like, or you're absolutely just crushing it, right? And so like either you're going to be constrained by, you know, demand or you're going to be constrained by supply. And, you know, companies like Peloton, like Tonal and others, you know, they, they can't keep up with the demand, but how long that demand lasts is, is an unknown. And then other brands you know, like Kohl's and and so many others, they're sitting on so much inventory. And so you have to anticipate, well, what is the market? What are, what are our competitors going to do knowing that Black Friday for them is most likely make it or break it. Right. So I'm anticipating a lot of aggressive, like aggressive discounting promotions from a lot in the, in the retail space. But again, I think it's going to be highly dependent on what industry you are in and and what your focus is. But I would say definitely have a game plan that if you need to go early, that that you're ready. I mean, and the other shift that's happening this year is that Amazon, you know, their typical prime day that's in July is now in October, right? And so what that will do to other brands who follow is is an unknown, right? If if it really happens and like they're saying, you know, mid-October, does that, does, do people just start then like changing their behavior and, and going, you know, heavy into Black Friday then in October, right? So we just, we don't know, but I think to a myopic viewpoint would be like, oh, things are going to be the same and I'm just going to have my game plan ready. Like, no, you need to have like three to four contingency plans on Black Friday as far as hey, if we need, you know, one scenario is we need to go super early and we need to be aggressive. And another scenario pivot is, you know, if this X, Y, and Z doesn't happen, then we're going to do this. So that would be my advice to anyone listening is you need to have (laughs) contingency plans and be ready to go earlier than probably ever. And great. If you, if you don't end up going early, that's totally fine, but at least you're ready. Yeah. It sounds like you're having a meltdown out there, but it's okay. We, I have a three-year-old and a one-year-old and they just went back to daycare uh, like two weeks ago. So it's, it's, it's quiet for the first time in six months in my house. <laughs> I love it. No, I, I have three kids, uh, five, seven, and 11. And my, my five-year-old 
loves to join and come in anytime that I'm on a call. So of course, yeah. of course, my, she come, my daughter comes in. She said, dad, are you talking to your teacher? No. <laughs> <laughs> hey, uh, Adam, this was great. I really appreciate you, you coming on and, and, and sharing some, some tips and, and, and advice. Uh, uh, we'll put everything in the show notes, but if you haven't heard of Roan, it's rhone.com. Go and check them out. Um, it's also just a great site for for inspiration. You know, I think marketing is about uh, copying great people who've done it before you. And so, if you are, you know, in the clothing, retail, athletic, you know, I don't know how you guys define your category. I'm sure you'll do better than me. Uh, go and check them out, Roan.com. So, Adam, I appreciate you coming on, and uh, we'll talk to everybody soon. Thanks, Dave. I appreciate it. Hey, it's Dave. Thanks for listening to another episode of the e-commerce marketing show. If you like the show, like the content, especially if you're in e-commerce, have a Shopify store and you're selling things online, Shopify, big commerce, whatever you're using out there to grow your business, I want you to go to privy.com slash join. That's one place to get all of the content that we're putting out here, including the podcast, masterclass Q and A's with experts, website teardowns, email teardowns, and all of the content from our blog twice a week. Go check it out, privy.com slash join.